0: From Wall Street to Main Street, there are stories to be told, where knowledge learned on the street is as powerful as knowledge learned on the streets. This is the Financial Recon Podcast, where we introduce you to the people, places, and things that have helped shape our environment and will help shape yours. Welcome to the conversation. Nostalgia. It's a key component to all of us and our story.
1: Perhaps it's a band, a place, or a team that triggers that sentiment. We'll seemingly spend anything to recapture that feeling. When my wife and I first moved to Baltimore in 2004, one thing became evident very quick. People loved their Baltimore Colts. And when I mean loved, words simply cannot explain. You have to see it in the people's eyes, their body language. How they recount the Colts' corral meetings the 58 championship game, the team's arrival at friendship airport after Geno's Amici's, and of course the marching band. It brings them back to another time with football just kicking off this regular season. I thought who better to whet our appetite about it than the PhD of Baltimore sports. At least in my opinion, Mr. John Zeman, John creates a fascinating timeline of football history interwoven with that of his involvement with the Baltimore Colts now marching Ravens band and how music played such an instrumental role in helping a city rebound from a devastating loss to landing one of the most successful franchises in pro football. All right, John, thanks a lot. I, I, I'm just so excited to reconnect with you after many years uh, apart. You know, football season's upon us, and I, I know everyone's just so excited about you know uh, football coming back again, and in the stadiums being filled and everything. You know, there's no better. You're, you're like the David McCallum Stephen Ambrose to me of, uh, <laughs> of of football, and especially around the Baltimore Colts, and um. I just kind of, you know, wanted to to start out with just how did you end up, you know, getting involved with the Baltimore Colts marching band and um kind of we can go from there.
2: Well, I mean, as a kid, I never played sports. I was too skinny. I get out there, I get killed. So, mm-hmm. my love turned to music. I love music. I started playing when I was 6 years old, my I was always tapping and rapping and finally my father just told my mother get him out of here get the drumlet, <laughs> something pro- progressive and i started six years old taking percussion lessons and it uh sort of calmed me down around the house but you know being involved, the school band drum corps and all but i always had a love for the baltimore Colts. uh a buddy of mine i grew up with bruce bradshaw his dad was a police officer in baltimore city and his father whenever he got stadium duty he had an extra ticket. They had season tickets. And uh, Bruce would call me up and say, how would say going to game today. I'd be out the door. you know. And I also loved the Colts, but I was fascinated by the Baltimore Colts marching band. I just thought it was fantastic because I want to do that one day. And um, finally, in 1962, April 4th, 1962, I went out and I thought, I'm not going to make this. I'm looking around and, you know, it was like 25, 30 people. And uh, I said, and I was watching some of these guys audition. I said, I'm go home. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to work. So I went, everybody had an audition on snare. So I went in and I auditioned. So they whittled it down to like 20. I was still on the run. They whittled it, whittled it down to like maybe 15, then 10. Then they said, okay, we only have so many spots. And that's it. Because some of the people came back from last year. And they said that um, we have a spot that's a sn- snare uh, position. And that went to a guy, I think, named Tom Morgan. Tom uh, played for the Marine Drum and Bugle Court at 8th and I in Washington, D.C. Oh, so wow. No way. No way. <laughs> and then uh, they said that um, they had one more position. They whittled it down to five of us. And I said, I couldn't believe I'm still in the running. I'm um, here, I am. This is the, you know. At that time, 14-year-old kid died, won 15 until, uh, um, you know, May. This was April. So uh, they said, we have for cymbals. And I'm looking around, and everybody, all these other candidates said, Malcolm play cymbals. I don't want to do cymbals. That's beneath me. I looked, and I said to Danny O'Toole, who's a percussion instructor, and Dick Westermire, assistant said, I'll do it. And these <laughs> other guys, said, go ahead, kid. You want to do it, do it. I, don't, I'm gonna, yeah. I just wanted to get in this band. Yeah. That's how it started. And then eventually uh over the years moved to snare, then tenor, then bass drum. And I just really and then up for a while, xylophone, marimba, and I just enjoyed myself. And you know, especially playing bass and still in drum and bugle chord, but that's how it started. And I think the love is still there. You know, every time I go on the field, the Ravens, some people say, it doesn't get old. And I said, every day I walk in that field, realize I'm privileged to walk on there to be connected with a wonderful organization like the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, I've served under five uh, six ownerships of professional football in the city.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I have to rate the Modell ownership and um, the Rashadi ownership as the best who really cared about the fans. And right behind them would be Carol Rosenblum.
1: Yeah, and, and, and you know... A lot of uh, what has drawn my interest into the Baltimore Colts and slash Ravens is that relationship that um, Carol Rosenblum and the the Colts established right from the get-go with the city. I mean, I talk to people and the love in their eyes for that team I mean, is just, it's so cool to see. And like we've talked about, you know, previously, the, the love um, the players um, had for the city and vice versa. It was, it was just something special, you know, like the experience as a, as a young lad (laughs) moving to the area.
2: You're not, of course, not as old as I am. I'm 74, but When I joined the band, the NFL was only like 42, 43 years old, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. It's all they were. And um, they were still the thing you watched when baseball ended. That's nothing to do until baseball season. Let's watch football a little bit. And they were struggling. But when the Colts came here, the second team came here in 1953, it was a brilliance of a general manager, Don Kellett, and, of course, Carol Rosenblum, the owner, that said, we're going to create something great because we're going to create it for our fans. And they took a team that came over the Dallas, Texans, and they were so bad. Art, uh, Art Donovan was part of that team, and they said they were so bad in Dallas that the crowds were so thin. The players would go up and greet the crowds and sit with them for a while. <laughs> I mean,
1: that's I such know. an arty <laughs> comment.
2: We're going to send the fans, you know, talk to them, have a beer with them, go back, play a little football, go back in the stadium. Yeah. That's how thin the crowds were. So that's why Baltimore was able to get a team, but we had to sell 15,000 season tickets and we did it. We had a revised Memorial stadium, put an upper deck on it and we did it. Wow. Uh, we're moving in professional football. And um, when they came here, the band was already established. The band was established September 7th, 1947. Uh, that's for the All-America Conference Baltimore Colts, the league that was going against the NFL in 1949, the end of 49, the Colts were taken into the NFL for one year. Then they were disbanded in 51-52. The band stayed together. So when uh, the Dallas Texans came to Baltimore, uh, they already had an established band. They were the first established cheerleaders, the first ever in the NFL. They have their own cheerleading unit. That was 1954. And all of a sudden, they produced this love. Here's a team nobody wanted that everybody made fun of. Here's a city that everybody made fun of because they said it was a whistle stop between uh, Washington, D.C. and New York. It was a hard-hitting, blue-collar, working town, of wonderful people. So it was a love affair at the beginning and the Colts made it that way. They yeah. went out they met meet and greet fans. If a corner bar was going to have a cult night, they would send a player out with a film and a projector. They would show it to the patrons, have a few beers, have <laughs> some dinner. And that was what they got paid for and talk football. That's how they did it. And they yeah. had a the van on uh, what do you call ticket, uh, telethons to sell tickets and, what they created, which was smart on Carol Rosenblum and very smart on Don Kellett, was the college atmosphere.
1: Yes. For yes. the fan. So uh, I was just having this conversation this weekend about that's one thing I love is the pageantry of a game day in college.
2: It wasn't just sitting there and that was it. That they started kicking off. And we even had a live mascot.
1: Oh, oh yeah. Uh, I remember the
2: <laughs> a little Welsh pony named Dixie. Um, And every time the Colts would score, Carolyn Clark, God bless her, she's no longer with us, would get on Dixie. She was in a band uniform and ride as fast as she could around the track. And the fans would go nuts to hear the fight song going, the cheerleaders jumping up and down. And, you know, the majorette's twirling. We had a majorette unit twirling the batons. And it was the atmosphere. Every time we score, it was going to be a celebration.
1: That's Um, awesome.
2: There was one game, I think. Johnny Sample mentioned, the late Johnny Sample of the Baltimore Colts, said that um, Colts scored like five or six touchdowns right away. Mm-hmm. And John told the team, we got to stop scoring. He said, why? He says, we're going to run that little horse to death. <laughs> <laughs> that was the humor of Johnny Unitas. But the team was a team. They're a family. They cared. And, you know, we also realized that they came here in 53. Nineteen fifty-eight, they were challenging the Goliath of the NFL.
1: Oh, uh, you're gonna you're gonna go straight for my heart here, aren't you? Because yeah. I, as a Giants fan, right?
2: <laughs> it was like you know, I mean, they were going basically against the darlings of the league. That and everybody was bet money that the Colts would lose. Well, there was I can't tell you how many excursion trains that went to New York of fans. The band went, everybody went, and we sort of turned it into a cult. Uh, maybe up there but um as you know the out- you know the outcome don't you Being a giant.
1: Uh, uh yeah you know, yeah you know. we don't have to rehash yeah <laughs> of course we will I'm, I'm with gifford it was a first down <laughs> that's been proven
2: wrong that is a few years ago modern techniques that's been proven wrong dang, dang but, technology <laughs> you know um Years later, they had a reunion, and they wanted to have the Giants come down to Baltimore for a reunion, sponsored by the (laughs) Bayview Museum, and all the Giants said, "Nah, we had enough of those guys in '58. We come."
1: That's that is funny,
2: but Uh, but the love affair continued. You know, it was a Baltimore Colts town. Everywhere you went, they were humming the Colt Fight song, which was established in uh, 1947. Okay, in fact, the Ravens brought it back. They had a very wonderful uh, fight song that John Modell wrote uh, for the Baltimore Ravens. And uh, it was a great song, but it wasn't Baltimore. And they had a contest and uh, what song would you like? And the fans voted 79% to bring back the old song, different words to the Ravens, but in the same tune. So it, continues. it brings that song brings both groups together mm-hmm. the fans and the Baltimore Raven fans. And that's something about the, uh, that I admire about the Baltimore Ravens. They're not here to erase our history. They're here to add to it.
1: No, I would say from what I've re- read, they've really embraced it, you know, like, w- well, didn't they bring John and like Johnny uh, Unitas Lenny Moore Artie, Gino, all of them back at the beginning?
2: The very first game, they brought them all back. And they introduced them and they had Baltimore Colt jerseys on. They supplied Baltimore Colt jerseys. And that was September 7th, 1996. And uh, I remember when the band came out on the field, the people went nuts. I mean, like 20 minutes of cheering and we couldn't even hear us play. And then um, they had all the old Colts come back. And We had to prove to the fans if they embraced us, it was okay. That we, that, you know, if they embraced us, it was okay to support the Baltimore Ravens. And um, they had them line up like a tunnel to introduce the new Baltimore Ravens. And at some point, they were all giving like windbreakers with the Baltimore Ravens jersey, Baltimore Ravens um, logo on the back. And they put them on as the Colts, or Ravens were being introduced. That, That more or less sealed it. And, yeah, of that's... course, they adopted a band, made us into the Marching Ravens. Our history mm-hmm. never, never, never stopped, continued, you know, on a straight line. And that's well, also recognized by the NFL and also recognized by the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The band never disbanded. We hit our uh, 75th year next year.
1: Wow. So with the band, I wanted to actually kind of back up back to when the 40s, 50s, so forth. when. The NFL, you, like you were mentioned, is, you know, it's an upstart. It's still getting rolling. Um,
2: how many teams actually had bands at the time? Back in the old days. <clears throat> I mean, the old days. Everybody, <laughs> everybody had a band. You know, if you, remember, you said
1: the old days to my kids, they say the 80s, right? You know?
2: Of course. <laughs> about, uh, when the NFL established in uh, 1920, um, they, everybody had a band because there was no canned music. But like Cleveland Browns, they only had a band, they had a drum and bugle corps. Uh, the well, the Washington football team, mm-hmm. they uh, came to Washington 1937. They had a band, which is still in operation, a drum and bugle corps, and a chorus. And uh, there's all through, you know, you know, Giants have a band. Uh, The oldest one ever established was the Green Bay Packers Lumberjack Band. They were the first to actually have a major marching band. And they went up until, I think, uh, in the 80s. I think that's when they were disbanded. I'm not sure about that. You'd have to look up the history. But as time went on, um, you know, I guess some people lack of interest and all. And uh, a lot of them did not have the fortitude to stay together like the Baltimore Colts marching band did. Cause if we're, like I said, um, we're beloved by our fans and are, are we are love our fans. Mm-hmm. We're the band of fans. Uh, before every game on uh, an hour and a half before every game, we do a concert right outside of Oriole park, right next to the warehouse. If you're familiar with that, yep. then we'd line up and March in and stop in the middle of the uh, parking lot parties and play the fight song. And, um, you know, Seven Nation and the people go nuts. And then we march in and do pregame show, halftime shows, play during the game, play a concert after the game. Then we march back to Oriel Park where our buses are. So, again, this was established by David Modell. And when the Browns came here, <clears throat> pardon me, when the Browns came here, David and I had a lot of long talks. And we went down to the stadium one day. Nobody was there. And we walked through of how we wanted to set this up as a college atmosphere. He was going to form a Cleveland Browns band <clears throat> because we went to Cleveland many times when we didn't have a team to perform. And uh, we were supposed to come up to Cleveland and some of my staff and in for a week and help them establish a band. Then all of a sudden they get a call that, no, they're not coming. You know, don't come. You know, we're not going to have a band. Little did I know. Yeah. Not just, okay, if you don't <laughs> Little did I know that they were coming to Baltimore. And um, when David came, like I said, we established a band, the Marching Ravens, and continue the tradition and history into it. But, you know, this is something that that I'm very proud of, that, are, that our fans still have a major love for this band. But on the other hand, we got to be good. Mm-hmm. We can't get Live on our laurels, or live on our traditions or history. We got to get out there, entertain the fans, and keep the morale up.
1: So, with you know the Baltimore Colts band, he, like you you kind of mentioned earlier, you had there's been gaps before. So for folks who don't know, they call it the band that doesn't die, or is that the die. band that wouldn't die? So. You, we we talked about that early period, but how did how did the Colts bend? You know, for those listening who may not know, how did you all earn that moniker?
2: Wing and a prayer. Uh, those who do, most of the people know the story that the Colts moved in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I personally saw it coming for a year. Uh, Mister Ursay, the owner. Was going around to all these cities saying, You want my team? Make me a deal. You want my team? Make me a deal. So I told uh, the general manager at the time, Ernie Accorsi, who was uh, a very dear friend. He also worked for the Giants.
0: Yeah. Oh, he
1: he's got, he's the reason we got Eli. He's of his... too. Yeah. You know, he's, he's the man. man.
2: Always, thought, always thought Ernie someday should be the commissioner, but uh, <laughs> deep respect for Ernie. But I told Ernie, I said, He's going to move the team, Ernie, because no, we're going to start and stop that. Years later, Ernie said, you were right. I just saw it coming. Yeah. The team was going to move him, no matter what we did. Um, everything Mr. Ursay wanted um, by the state legislature in the city of Baltimore, say one of the five items, you know, fix up the stadium, new you know, stadium yeah. items, they would work with him to get it. Then he went three more. Then he wanted two more. Then he wanted six more. I mean, it got to be out of hand. That showed me that it was gone. Mayflower moving vans from uh, Indianapolis, Michigan, and Virginia were stationed in Hagerstown, Maryland. And for those who don't know the map of Maryland, that's sort of like in the Western Panhandle at a hotel. Not telling them where they were going to go. Just be ready. And then on March uh, 28th, they were told they were going to move the Baltimore Colts to Indianapolis. And they came and overnight moved us. Yeah. It, it was chaos. I'll be honest with you. I mean, we didn't know what to do. Fans were running around crying. I mean, that was how bad it was.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And <clears throat> we at the band thought, no, our fans need a rallying point. And their first step was to say, Hey, the band's staying together. And people look at us and you people are crazy. (laughs) And uh, and I said, no, we're staying together. And they needed a rallying point to give them faith. What better way through music? Yeah. What better way through music? We didn't have a wing and a prayer. We have a plan. (laughs) (laughs) We're staying together.
0: Hey, you know.
2: (laughs) And and my vice president at the time said, what are we going to do? I went, hell, I know. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we had a band meeting and got everybody together, and we formed into a non profit, all volunteer group. And um, we decided the first year we had to get out there and keep the home fires burning, do parades, concerts, and defiance of this team moving. And uh, second year, I decided okay, we got to do more, we got to go on the road, and um. No team would touch us. We want to go up and do it. I'm sure no NFL team would touch us because they were afraid we're going to be a protest group. No. And uh, finally, <clears throat> one team stepped forward. Cleveland Browns, Art Modell said he'll take a chance. And they brought us to Cleveland. Wow. And, <clears throat> and then when they heard that, and you're going to like this, the second team that stood up for us, the New York Giants.
1: So Mr. Mara,
2: Mr. Mara, but also Mr. George Young.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Who has Baltimore roots?
2: <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, yeah, um, George Young stood up for us. So the first two games was Cleveland, and then we went to New York. After that, they realized we weren't going to be a protest group. we We just want to entertain. And then in were the, those year,
1: were those Giants ones that. Um, The Yankee Stadium or the Yale Bowl? The
2: the one in New Jersey. Oh,
1: okay.
2: But uh, we went there, and uh, after that sort of blossomed in 11 years, we did 30 NFL halftime shows. Showing the league, we still had the spirit. And that's one thing Art Modell said when he came to Baltimore about moving it. I mean, after the money is on the table, let's face it, that's the first thing.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah,
2: yeah. Can they support can Baltimore supported team? And our modell said, My God, they got the marching band that's in full speed. It's not had it did not disband. That shows me that the spirit of the fans are there. We also had the Ed Block Courage Awards, which was the largest yep. NFL in the NFL. They brought back uh, an honored one player from each team that did major major you know charity work in the community. We also had the Colts crowds that stayed together and uh, colt's corrals you know are still uh together as the ravens uh roost uh and the band staying together i mean it just showed baltimore's not gonna let go i talked Mm -hmm. to some people years ago that was from uh st louis and right after the rams moved i said i'm so sorry you lost your team and the gentleman laughed at me and i thought what's he laughing at and he said we're not crazy like you people in baltimore (laughs) He said, you people remind me of a little, like a little dog, like a terrier. When you wave a rag in front of him and he mm. clamps onto it, you swing him around. They don't let go. <laughs> he said, you kept on biting the, the NFL in the butt and you never let go. All of you, your fans, even when you lost expansion, that's when you, that's what he said. That's when you got nasty and dirty.
1: <laughs> so, and John, I, I just want to. to- wanted to ask real quick uh, because um you, you know back to the one that the move happened like yeah. did, you guys, did you guys with the w- for the band did any of your equipment was it packed up to be shipped or any of that
2: no uh in those days um we only had uh we never kept anything at the uh Baltimore Colts front office the noise mills okay they went- the uniforms were in the cleaners, you know, for the air being clean. We always said we had to take care of that ourselves of so transporting with the cleaners to our, you know, our jobs with the uniforms. <clears throat> the equipment we had was the drums and the sousaphones. In those days, we didn't have a band truck. So if you came out and to play a sousaphone, you had to take it home. And at each drummer, if you were a snare drummer, you take the drum home. So each member had them. <clears throat> the first thing I did was inform the uh, people that had the instruments Item, them. And <laughs> we uh, called a gentleman, Bernie Kirsch, a Kirsch Cleaners in uh, uh, Towson, Maryland, uh, about <clears throat> the uniforms. And Bernie was a very nervous man. And he said, to them, I can't give them to you. But if you call them out tonight, and one of their guys, uh, Richard Jondo, had the uh, keys to the truck, he said, You want to take my truck for a walk? Bernie thought we were being, you know, Tapped phone tapped. (laughs) What are you talking about? That dawned on me. We went out there. We had uniforms, and we moved them. Wow. And we moved them to three different locations. (laughs) And uh, (coughs) pardon me, we had three different locations. And um, I first took them uh, to uh, the gentleman. Richard Jondo to his warehouse. He was a plumber. And we had a wonderful lawyer, Arthur Frank. He said, they could sue Richard. So I had a bright idea to take him to my house. He said, they can sue you. So <laughs> one of the guys, the man, which I can't <clears throat> mention his name because his family still doesn't like me. <laughs> um, he said, I don't place So we put him in my truck. And uh, I, one guy was in front of me and another guy was in back of me. And I was in the middle and we went through, we're cutting through a cemetery. And I said, oh, I guess we're taking a shortcut. All of a sudden they stopped and I looked up the mausoleum and the guy who made the suggestion was his family name on that mausoleum. Went, oh no, uh-uh, <laughs> we're not going into a mausoleum. Well, finally, they pulled me out of the truck and he had the keys and they put him in the mausoleum and hit him. He said, can't sue a dead person. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> we waited to, for um 60 days because then it would be classified as the bayonet equipment. We just found out recently, a few years ago, that they were coming back for the uniforms and some of the, um, you know, uh, sleds that they use for, you know, football tackling and all. They're, they came back looking for them. But oh, after wow. Six, after 60 days, they couldn't touch us. Okay. So after 61 days we pulled the uniforms out and did a big parade in baltimore nice to a major major uh, pep rally at the baltimore arena so that sort of started we had william donald schaefer come in as our drum major who was a mayor at the time and lead us into the baltimore arena and uh that sort of started at our defiance and i had to use the defiance we weren't trying to go against the NFL. We wanted to get a team back here. We did everything we could in expansion, and they still turned us down. I sort of figured that, again, the fix was in when Jacksonville dropped out of expansion. And Commissioner Tagliabue, they all went to Tampa. Not Tampa, went to Jacksonville and talked them back into it. And somehow they received some seed money for somewhere, from what we understand. Mm Mm-hmm of course, as you know, Jacksonville and Carolina got the teams. It should have been St. Louis and Baltimore. So that's when uh, William Donald Schaefer at the time, you know, he became governor. And uh, he called in John Moog. And uh, John was chief lobbyist. Mm-hmm. And also at well, another time he was Maryland State Authority director. And basically, I say, took the collar off and said, get us a team. Uh, <clears throat> and you know the rest of the story. Yeah, But at that time, we also had, the deal was so good. We also had the New England Patriots looking to come to Baltimore. Uh, We also had, uh, of course, the Raiders. Uh,
1: (laughs) The Raiders are, like, uh, going everywhere, right?
2: (laughs) The Browns, uh, Arizona, you know. uh, And even the Indianapolis Colts wanted to talk to us about coming back because they were having they won another new stadium. Um, from what I understand, John Moog negotiated with all of them except the Indianapolis Colts. He did not talk to them. But um, we got blessed by getting the Models here. There's a book out that I recommend called Fumble.
0: Okay,
2: This will tell you the reasons why Art Modell had to move to move his team and what it be New Mexico, Baltimore, or you know, anywhere, you know. He had to move. He had no civic cooperation, so I took so, the book, humble
1: So, so with you know, when the when the Colts, you know, leave town in the middle of the night, how did your relationship with? the old Colts, you know, the former Colts, how did that go? Like, were they they still very supportive and
2: coming out? Baltimore Colts alumni? Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's another group that came out solid for getting a team back in Baltimore. They came out full blast. Anytime there was a rally, anytime there was, you know, anything to be done to go on television, you know, to promote. promoter. Um, when we did our recruitment for the band, you know, I got John Unitas to come in and be our spokesperson. He not only did TV ads, radio ads, whatever he could to speak for us about, hey, join the Baltimore Colts Marching Band. The Colts may be gone, but the band's still here. And I still, I still got a lot of the videos still in our archival.
0: The nice. Band
2: And then also Lenny Moore stepped forward, Tom Maddie stepped forward, Um, uh, Sam Haverleck stepped forward, Uh, Rick Volk, all of them. I mean, that's just naming a few of the wonderful players that said, What can we do? And they were everywhere, totally everywhere. And um, John Unitas at the time owned a restaurant called the Golden Arm. And in the men's, as you went into the men's men's restroom, he had a Black put up the Bob R. Sabre. <laughs> 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 Gotta get the dig. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I know um, many times they're invited back for the Indianapolis Colts and they didn't go. And that's another reason why the Baltimore Ravens hold a history and heritage. Like I said before in this interview, they're not here to erase their history, they're add to it they got a statue of John Unitas out in front of the stadium. How many cities lost a team is going to honor a former team. They have all the hall of famers and retired, num- retired numbers in the stadium on a ring of honor. They've had uh 58 team back twice to honor them on different landmarks. Other dates. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, I hate to say it, that number is dwindling fast. Yeah, sadly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they brought back the fight song to do, bring the both sides, Baltimore Colt fans and Raven fans together. On the band logo, we have a music lyre with a bird head, Raven's bird head. And then on the lyre, it's got 1947 showing our our history and heritage. We go back that far. Um, you know, and Raven's complex, where this section where the Ravens practice, Raven Fieldhouse, field they have a plaque up showing all the Hall of Famers, the Baltimore Colts Hall of Famers. And this is something, and also in a press book, in the Ravens' media guide, they have the media guide. And in it, it has the Baltimore Colts' history. That's cool. And, and like I said, when you, I've never been, but I understand when you go into uh, Mr. Bishotti's, um game day where box where he watches a game, you walk in, and on one side, it's like a locker room, you know, set with the Ray Lewis's equipment. On the other side, it's John Unitas's equipment. Wow. And then there, there's a big photograph of Steve when he was a young boy, maybe 11, you know, maybe 11 or 12 at Westminster, uh, Maryland, where the team called to train with Steve and John Unitas. Nice. Again, how many teams are going to do this?
1: Well, it also shows as a player you never know whose life you're gonna touch
2: absolutely you know,
1: and and you know since we're talking about touching lives and uh Johnny you, can you share the, your story about you know uh when your uh what was it your appendix burst or
2: yeah uh, <laughs> again um it's a different time back in those days, mm-hmm the team always knew the band and the band always knew the team and everybody knew each other. I mean, the the team lived in the neighborhoods. They worked in the off season in Baltimore. So they knew each other. We knew the fans, the fans knew us. And, um, it was 1963 and, uh, my appendix bursted on me. And I was pretty bad off. I had pleurisy. I think it's pleurisy through the system. And um, I was operated on a Friday, that Sunday, uh, and went to Washington to play a halftime show. We always did conglomerate shows with the Washington band. And um, during warm-ups, Bill Miller, who was band president at the time, saw John. <clears throat> and I only knew John for about a year or so. He said, you hear about Zeman? And John said, What happened? And he says, His appendix burst on. He's pretty bad off. He's not good. And he said, where's he at? He said, St. Joe's Hospital. This is when St. Joseph's hospital is downtown. He said, Okay. Next morning a nurse came in <laughs> real excited and said, I think it was her name was Miss Douglas. She said, Guess what? John United's gonna come up and see you. I said, Yes, yeah, so was Queen of England. <laughs> <laughs> and after toured, I shouldn't have did that to her, but Sure enough, I found that he was coming up. And I told the doctors, get these tubes out of me. I'm not going to have him see me like this. He came up around 1 o'clock. He brought me a football, a game day football, which are very rare because not that he didn't appreciate the game day footballs, but he used to give the Maggie, a St. Bernard to play with. <laughs> I was not a sports collector. <laughs> That's a story. But he also brought me uh, a St. Christopher medal. And then they took a photograph. He's holding me up. That's how bad I was, mm-hmm. and uh, I got the medal around my neck. In fact, I still got it displayed. I'm looking at right over there in my, in my den, with the ball in the medal. Then the um, he stayed for about two hours, talking me football, talking about everything. Then he left. Around eight o'clock that night, night at night, the night nurse came in and said, "You know, Mister United is still here." I said, "He is." It's eight o'clock at night. <laughs> He's up talking to the older people talking to the kids he went to our cancer ward for children and he's in there talking to them so there's a man had to be on the football field for like six seven o'clock the next morning and he's still eight or nine o'clock at night out there talking to the fans and signing autographs that was john we were blessed to have john Unitas in the city and brooks robinson oh yeah in the city they were both cut from the same cloth you know and i'm not saying the fan the Players don't care now. They do care. But in my opinion, it's a different situation. In those days, the players could walk among us. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I've seen it. It's tough for them to do. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Well, and, and not to mention all the handlers and everything. Right. It's, I mean, right. it, it was, it was different. And, but it's, it's not only just him like you know you, you heard the stories what jim parker had his liquor store that people would visit and you know lenny moore is involved in all the um yeah, the uh, oh yeah he had the night i forgot about that and he also was involved with you know kids and making sure you know getting them set on the right path and you know you just and already had the Artie donovan's uh uh, country club, and yeah, gino had Genos, and then there was Michi's and like I mean, they were everywhere.
2: <clears throat> well, that's was a smart thing that Baltimore did. You got to <laughs> realize back in those days we had the United States military draft. Mm-hmm. Now, these guys are coming right out of college. How come Baltimore could keep them? That was a big question. What's going on in Baltimore? Where- a player may be with the San Francisco 49ers for one year, then he just gets drafted. <clears throat> or they move. Or they go home. <clears throat> well, we had a group of men called the Colt Associates. And it was headed up by a gentleman named Ralph Elsmo. And they're made up of businessmen. So when Tom Maddy finished playing, you know, football at the end of the year, instead of moving back to, you know, his home state, they made sure that he had a job during the off season. And then when he started, when he training camp opened in July, the company would let him go, then rehire him at the uh, at football season, at the end of football season. And they had diversity of men in all walks of life in business. And they did that. They didn't get anything out of it, just the pride of being part of this maybe mm-hmm. a few autographs and pictures, photographs, and paper. you know, that's about it. That's how they did it. And then with the draft, there was a gentleman, uh, Hurst Loudslager, Loudy, was a <sighs> super fan. Howdy, Loudy was a permanent, I think a master sergeant with the Maryland National Guard. And he sort of helped out of getting the players into um, the Maryland National Guard. They didn't shirk the military. But they got into the Maryland National Guard, quite a few players. and they, He you know, helped sure
1: accommodate for, their scheduling, right? Yeah. He would
2: <laughs> their for, uh, going away for training and all that. So, you know, uh, that sort of helped bring some championships to Baltimore by continuity, continuity of keeping um, players in Baltimore. Plus, it shows you another reason why Baltimore cared about this Baltimore Colts team. And a pride. These mm-hmm. men got nothing out of it. Laudy got nothing out of it. Except the pride of bringing a championship and the love to the city. And that's another thing that made us champions all the way. But again, I don't condemn the current players. I understand where they're coming from, especially the protection of their families. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Out there, but some also people that they would have to do that. That's why I, I'm I think Ray Lewis did the best thing. You never heard him talk that much about his family when he was playing. Not until after he retired. And then he started talking about his family. But most of his children were adults.
1: I think it's smart, though, that what Baltimore did, though. I mean, New York played to its strengths with Madison Avenue. L.A. had Hollywood, right? So, you I mean, Baltimore just played to its local strengths. And, you know, I mean... They did what they had to do, and it. Tip of the cap to them. <laughs> I mean, more than anything, except in '58, still pains me. '59,
2: don't forget '59. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: I, I mean, the '59 game. They said it was over by halftime. No offense against your clients, but you know.
1: Oh, I know. I, I mean, but you know, Gifford. Like he had his. I know Sam Huff. Like didn't I think Sam Huff used to get all bent out of shape because of Gifford getting all the glamour deals and things like that. And
2: well Sam Hoff did an interview I saw the NFL Films about the 58 game. And he said he got so tired of hearing United's the Barry, United's the Barry, United the, bear, united the, bear, united the <laughs> Barry. <laughs> that one time he said, I had him, I had him pinned down. There's no way John was going to get that ball to Raymond Barry. And he felt something like this go past his ear. John put the ball between um, Huff's head and shoulder right here, and Barry grabbed and ran for it.
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> but that's, that's the accuracy one.
2: of John United's uh, quarterback that they picked up for an 85 cent phone call from the Bloomingfield Rams semi pro team.
1: Wow, and, and and you know, like not just to dwell on just John, but I mean, like we said, like the the talent, Lenny Moore, Jim Parker, Artie Donovan, Gino Marchetti, all these hall of famers. I mean, like I, I shared with you um when we spoke another time, you know, the the coolest thing was talking to Lenny Moore and saying, you know, me being naive at, at the point and not really understanding a good grasp of football history, I said, "Oh, what was it like to play against Sam Huff, you know, as a defender?" and he's just like couldn't touch me. Had big Jim Parker there. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and right. then I learned the story of Jim Parker and you're just like wow. Like, I mean he was like seemed like the bodyguard of that, you know offensive line. When
2: John passed John Yates passed Parker had the best quote because this is the one time I couldn't protect him. Yeah. Let's... And it's one time and in- you know there was a shock to all of us when john passed it was national Mo- maryland national mourning to us
1: well it, it, it was the greatest crime a- after him passing and just my personal opinion was that you know like peyton manning we wanted to wear the black high tops to honor him and the nfl threatened the fight like that was just my personal opinion it's criminal so well, that
2: happened uh in baltimore chris redmond who was our quarterback at the time was protege of john Unitas. Um, he went and he uh he wore the black high tops he was fined for what i understand and i can't say for truth for the truth of this but i understand the modell family paid the fines
1: yeah and, he, yeah.
2: and at that time i was working for the bay ruth birthplace museum and they also were the Museum of the Baltimore Colts and John Unitas. That morning, I went out to the Colts complex to Eddie Carroll, the manager, um, equipment manager, and I told him I wanted to buy back black high tops for the museum. They gave them to me. And about maybe an hour or so later, Chris came in looking for the high tops, <gasps> And I already had them. <laughs> safely in the archives of the Babe Ruth birthplace and museum.
1: No, that's cool that's that's where they should be. They're the pro Football Hall of Fame, one of the two places i mean it's it's important um piece of history um so one of the things about the the marching band with that you know eventually becomes the Marching Ravens, the whole thing that led up to the move was Bob Bursay was not thrilled with stadium and memorial stadium and so forth and i know you you shared with me you were involved in uh, the teardown of uh memorial stadium Could you kind of describe like what kind of facility it was when he you know like why he was he felt felt the way he did about that place
2: yeah um you know memorial stadium everybody loved memorial stadium that's Mm -hmm. one thing i do agree the only thing i will agree (laughs) that we needed a new stadium not only for us <clears throat> pardon me but the orioles but uh i did 35 years of broadcasting at wmar tv and then i went with the uh bay ruth birthplace museum as deputy director one of the first jobs i had was uh, out at a uh, memorial stadium the maryland stadium authority bay ruth museum went into a partnership that we would ex- excavate all the <clears throat> pardon me, all the historical Items out of the stadium, you know, lockers, mm-hmm. and, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, everything we had, historical signs. And um, that was my first job to get in there with the Bayreuth Museum, Maryland Stadium Authority. And at the uh, three months of doing a roster of what for the construction for what to take out, we took three tractor trailer loads of items out of there, which is in storage at the Bayreuth Museum <clears throat> warehouse. And then they asked me to stay on because had to work with the construction crew to remove everything else. And then um uh, that was like in um I guess April, May, and June, classify it with a price, and then par <clears> me <throat> sell it to the fans instead of going in the trash. And we had a sale uh like in July and people wrapped around the building lines wrapped around the building. And we had a, like a five day sale and people come in with artifacts, getting their photographs taken around the stadium. But <clears throat> the truly, we all loved her. We love that stadium. I, for, you know, did drum corps shows in there. Like I said, I was with WMAR TV and uh, did 15 years of Oreo baseball plus my time with the Baltimore Colts band and you know, uh, in that stadium. Uh, so nobody loved that more than I did, but the problem, and I'm going to be very honest with you. Some of your listeners, you know, will probably be booing me, but (laughs) the time has come. She was falling apart. Um, they had meters on her that she was shifting. Oh, wow. Slowly shifting to the West and sinking. I hate to say at the stadium, you can go back to history it was never put up right. It was slapped up and the upper desk were slapped up and uh, it was in bad shape. They had PCV all through the generators, which we had to tear out the wall, remove that hazardous waste. Um, the problem is she was leaking in the locker rooms. I mean, water come up a lot of times to your, you know, almost above your knees when we had a very bad storm, they couldn't find the leak for what was going on. Sad uh, part about it also, there was an underground spring underneath the stadium. I think it was 1970 world series that the players out in the outfield, and they would run, you can see splash, splash, splash water. Um, and that's something they would have pumps around the stadium, trying to drain this. And, uh, <clears throat> It was, it was just so sad. The stadium, this rich in history, was falling apart. They had these white, look like the salactites. That's what I called them <laughs> around the stadium. And I said to the construction people, I said, "You know, it was Potts and Callahan Construction." I said, "What are those?" They said, "The only way we can tell you in layman's term is that that's a cancer in the building, and that's uh, the cement going back to sand." And they were all it was all through the building you saw the rebar it was being exposed and um it was just a sad thing to see it was like a terminally old person being out there for 18 months mm-hmm. and the neighborhood wanted it down they had enough from 19 beyond 1920 there was uh a stadiums there it was an old wooden stadium in 1920 they built what they called it like the yale ball it's seated eighty thousand. And he started in 1948. Revi, you know, tearing down sections of Memorial State of, of the old stadium to put in Memorial Stadium. And there's books and photo books about it. And um, it was just sad when they um did the construction company came in, and what uh, they had to have a company come in and do a fact-finding for the construction company, and they dug down in one of the um, uh, pilings. And I said to the gentleman that was doing this, I said, when you get down, because he had to find out what was under, when you get down there, you're going to hit water. Well, it was like, yeah, right. Why don't you go away? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I went about my business and I get a call on my cell phone about three hours later. said, you can get him over to the west side. So I went over and he's down in the hall and he's looking, he's looking up at me. And he said, you're right. I'm knee deep in water. Are mm. all around this, you know, uh, this piling, and he said we also excavated some of the other pilings and found out that's the reasons why she's sort of sinking and leaning. Um, when the Ravens came here, they had to play a Memorial. They had to, they put twenty five million dollars of repairs in her, and the city wanted more. And Modell said, "No, we're not putting any more in. We can't." Mm-hmm. So, from what I heard, and again, what I heard. It, they condemned it. And then on Friday, they uncondemned it and recondemned it on Monday for Ravens to play there.
0: <laughs> wow. And
2: that's what one of the city inspectors told me. And again, that's hearsay. That's from the city inspector. But she was safe to a point. But when they tore her down, I was there to the last brick. <clears throat> when they it was supposed to be six weeks, they did it in three.
1: Wow. And, uh,
2: <clears throat> they knocked down like the upper deck. And it was like pie crust it was nothing between uh, different pilings to different pilings. It was like just cement and rebarb. And that was it. So that's why a lot of you, the fans get up there. Remember, we used to jump up and down, we could feel the stadium shift.
0: <laughs> you
2: know, but she, she was just shot. Um, even if we never got another football team or baseball team in Baltimore, she wouldn't have lasted. There's no way, there's just no way. And we moved forward in new stadiums and we had to update and upgrade. And, you know, she'll always be remembered. We always love her, but I got maybe five or 600 photographs. I always had my little Instamatic camera with me taking (laughs) photos every day. A lot of times it was um, one guard, gentleman Larry Childs and myself I think every bird in the state of Maryland had a nest in there <laughs> and, and two foxes. We used to see that, you know, uh, and that was about it. At night, there'll be flocks of crows coming in and, and uh, nesting into the stadium. But it's sad to see a stadium this historic go down. But believe me, it was her time. Mm-hmm. Was her time. The back parking lot on the northwest parking lot uh they dug in and all of a sudden they had to stop they found uh fuel tanks still filled with like kerosene from the old, on the back parking lot so we had to take time to get those out drain them and get them out and um, they were buried wow and, and then in the front of the stadium was fuel tanks for the stadium itself and when they lifted them out, all the um, ground was like green, like kryptonite. Jeez. <laughs> and uh, I have photographs of that too.
1: So, sounds like my home state of New Jersey.
2: There you go. <laughs> <laughs> <from> New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's but, uh, a super fun site.
2: Hey. <laughs> some, you know, the plumbing was shot. If you remember correctly, fans, when we had the Ravens here for the two seasons, they, you know, uh, 96, 97, they spent that memorial. Um, we had to get Johnny on the spots outside the stadium for people to use because by halftime the plumbing was dead. Jeez. I mean, you some of the bathrooms you would flush and would throw it back at you. <laughs> you know, that's how bad it was. Um, but she was gone. And a lot of people made, oh, I loved her. We all loved her. Trust me, we all did. But it was time. I mean, it broke my heart to see this wrecking balls hit her. They also found in the back parking lot, and you could see photographs of the old stadium built in 1920. They had these big pine trees. Well, the construction company, by right, should have dug the roots out when he built Memorial. They just covered it up with asphalt. We found the trunks of those trees. Wow. That's (laughs) lost. And again, you get very emotional about her. I mean, she was our gray old lady. We loved her. But it was time to move on. And maybe someday, I won't be around, but they'll be saying that about Oriole Park uh, at M&T Bank Stadium. I don't know.
1: Well, hopefully, I hope not. I mean, both stadiums are, you know, got their uniqueness in a a good way. Um,
2: Well, the city never kept it up. I hate to say, excuse me, but the city never kept it up. But now with the state of Maryland running both ballparks now, I think we have a better chance. But, you know, the city was always limited on money and all, you know, through the uh, bureau of parks. So they kept it up like they would Patterson Park or Clifton Park, the best they could.
1: Well, they did the same with Shea. I believe it was part of the New York City Parks Department. I guess that was the thing back in the day, the (laughs) throw the stadiums under it.
2: I mean, we came very close to losing the oils too. Very close. Man. And William Donald Schaefer had 53 days in the state legislature legislature to get the bill passed to the stadiums. Only, he said, after that, we will not be able to get a professional football or baseball team here. And he did it. Last minute, he did it.
1: But that's why people love Willie Don, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a... Rev- like... We, we learned that there's just as much as the Colts. The Willie Don is revered. And, you know, I mean, that whole, it's just a fascinating capture of time, you know, he
2: called, he called me while well, Bob Douglas is press secretary, Bob and I knew each other for years. And he called me while they're fighting for the stadium. <laughs> we had a week to go. And he called me on a Friday and said, I'm calling for Governor Schaefer Z. He he doesn't feel Z, it's gonna pass. He said, it just don't, and we got till next Friday. <clears throat> and um, I told the band, we said, like hell. And Monday night, we went, took the whole band down to the state legislature, the evening session, and played the fight song, gave out flyers, our flag line gave out flyers. Why we need and bring professional football back, why we need to build a stadium, why we need to save the Orioles. And um, we blocked almost every entrance. We divided them, <laughs> blocked almost every entrance um, to, uh, and uh, all of a sudden the state legislature. Where, legislature were
1: you guys, uh, did you bring your instruments too?
2: Yeah, we played, we played a concert.
1: Oh, nice. We,
2: we played a fight song, we played a song. I got up there in speeches, and uh, next thing you know, the House and the Senate is out there watching us. <laughs> and a president of the Senate, Mike Miller, came out to me and called me over and said, can you do me a favor? I said, yeah. He said, you made your point. He said, can I please get the state running again? Because they're all out here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so for for a, a brief moment in time, you were the most powerful man in Maryland.
2: <laughs> yeah. For, uh, but uh, yeah, that's right. I, I could have pushed some legislation through. Uh, <laughs> But they um, we they got us inside, and somehow they had a joint session, and they gave us a proclamation. And um, that night, the funny thing about it, while we're playing and all, I looked over and I see two two state troopers watching us. I said, "This is not good." Finally, when we finished, they walked over to me and they sort of have a smirk. "So you in charge?" I said, "Yes, sir." "Hmm. "Do you have a permit for this?" I said, no, sir. They looked at each other Says, said, We're going to have to disband. And that's yes, sir. No problem. We <laughs> they waited until they knew, you know, and they looked back and made a smile. <clears throat> but uh, the next day, Bob Douglas called me and told me, He said, You don't believe it. With the band being down here, it's starting to turn heads. People start thinking about the cults, the good times going out there, fun they had. Professional football, the pride they had. He said, and we're starting to lobby against yes, and I think we're going to get the votes. Because um, here is a bunch of band geeks turning around to get professional football back and saving the Orioles in Baltimore. Um, Friday afternoon, uh, <clears throat> William Donald Schaefer called me personally and said, We did it. We got it passed. Nice. Did a lot of things, a lot of you know, people got involved in this. And the band was one of them. And the band, you guys sort of pushed it over to hell. And then he also sent me another beautiful letter stating that, which I have in our band archives. So here's a bunch of band geeks. they <laughs> a football team. Can you believe that?
1: But that's, in my opinion, the beauty and the the romance of this, this love affair between Baltimore and its marching band and football. And the, this is just what these experiences have that emotional connection to all of us that like we're that it could be such a catalyst to get, you know, to get a new NFL team to Baltimore. And it's just, it's really awesome. And and, you know, one
2: thing David Modell always said, only two words only in Baltimore, only in Baltimore. And he's right. Yeah. He's right. Only in Baltimore. So I, I got to ask, since we were, you know
1: talk, we were talking about Memorial Stadium. You, the one thing that popped to my mind that I I've been wanting to ask you is, it like let's just compartmentalize this into maybe like two things, like the Ravens and then the mm-hmm. um, the Colts, the Colts band. What was the most memorable? concert game you all played or, you know, for, for each aspect?
2: Well, you, you really, how much time we
1: got <laughs> until the uh, memory crashes on the recording system. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, I think getting the word from the models that we we're going to be adopted, the band going to be adopted by the Ravens. That touched us greatly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that uh, scared me was <clears throat> in when the Ra- they announced in November of 95 that Ravens were coming to Baltimore. And I got word they wanted a band. But January, February... All of a sudden, models were involved in lawsuits. The state legislature said this wasn't approved by us. And going back and forth, it looked like the Browns may have to go back to Cleveland. Of course, Ban was back burner. And I don't blame them. <clears throat> but we didn't hear anything, nothing going on, nothing going on. And um, finally, we got the word July 3rd. Uh, 1996 David Modell called me and said um, definitely the band's going to be um, adopted by, you know, the Ravens. But before that, you know, we did a TV show in May at WBL tv with um, Kwasi Mfume, who is a politician. And I think he serves in the Senate, also served in the House. And it was a talk show. And it was about that the panel is David Modell. Uh, Johnny Unitas, the late St- John Steadman, sports writer. And, um, you know, they had a lot of us in the audience for the band and all. And during the break, Mr. Fumay and I, I know known each other for years, he says, Have they had told you anything yet? I went, No, nothing yet. He goes, I'm going to come back and give you the opening. Go after him. So they <laughs> came back. He says, Well, here's John Zeman stand up. And I uh, said, David, no matter what, we want to be your marching band. And he said, "John, I already thought you were." Well, everybody cheered and yelled, and I said, "I'll take that as an invitation to be <laughs> Later on, and that's in the movie, "The Band That Wouldn't Die." On the video, and then, and, and, and
1: I, that's the in case folks want, that's like the what the Barry Levinson thirty for thirty, right?
2: It's the band that wouldn't die. Uh, you know, you can look it up and see the yeah. movie. Fifty-three minutes long.
1: Oh, it's we, a great! It's a great capture of you all uh, I I watched it the day it came out and I I mean my wife and I watched it and we loved it so I highly recommend
2: yeah I mean that's something that Barry did and produced and um you know it's one of the top 30 for 30s and it's been out for god over 10 years but um I looked a lot younger
1: but <laughs> You look great that, to me, that, buddy.
2: <laughs> that, that's a, seriously, that's to get the movie The Band that wouldn't die. You can buy it for a few dollars. It's got if you buy it, it's got a lot of the um side interviews and all. It shows Ursula's full press conference at the airport. But we're getting back to your question. I guess July 3rd we announced uh that you know Dave told me we're coming back. We're gonna definitely pick up the band. And he said, but I don't want to announce it until tomorrow, July 4th. So we made arrangements. And when we, we do four 4th of July parades and we're in <laughs> Towson, Maryland, and we came to the reviewing stand and that's when they announced it. And you can see the band standing there at attention and are ready to bust. And I told the drum major at the time, Jack Faith, I said, at ease, or well, then they exploded too. <laughs> Never heard the fight song played so hard and so fast. In my life. <laughs> that, was, that was something that was very touching, and also the first day, like I said, we played 1996 September 1st, 1996, at the first Baltimore Ravens game. We came out, the fans just loved us and adored us, and um, also, I think, off the field, two mm-hmm. things for me on my bucket list that we accomplished was. We did the inauguration plate parade for our president, uh, George W. Bush. Oh, cool. George Bush. And uh, we also did uh, what you see behind me is uh, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in 2027, 20, 20, 2007. Yeah. 2007. And uh, we did the Macy's Parade. So those two things on my bucket list. That, nice. You know, that this band accomplished i mean i can do all the paperwork and promoting i can but if you don't have the people the wonderful people in this band to make it work the musicians the equipment crew the, the staff at the time the flag line and honor guard you would have never made macy's you know 2007 is when they did it and, mm-hmm. you know you can go online and see that and uh that was a, another very memorable I feel in my heart and that's what my son's to death for Christmas when you're what you see behind me the bass drum head and all so it's you know especially coming from my sons Chris and Pat
1: nice that's that's awesome
2: but you know we're not finished yet we got a lot to go and um, we're up and running and uh, ready to get that team to the Super Bowl and that's what we want to do well
1: hopefully not against my Giants because the last time that happened it didn't end up well for us
2: Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> I got a vice president, Pete Zerpolo from uh, I think, uh, Long Island. I always bring that up to him. And he just tells me, get away from me.
1: <laughs> well, I told you the one time I got in the castle with somebody, um, they were going to meet a player and uh, we're sitting there and there's the Super Bowl. This was prior to them. The Ravens went in the second Super Bowl. Um there's that first Super Bowl trophy sitting there and I said if that thing wasn't under glass <laughs> I would. Oh,
2: yeah. Oh well, it's an under glass and alarm so. Yeah,
1: I was like, "Oh man, like that's just kicking me in the chops there." But like just to wrap things up, John, um I guess like what's your just your favorite It's two question really, two part question. Who's your favorite Colts player or Ravens player and um um I'm um, now I'm blanking on the second part of it but um well uh, let's just start with that I'll probably have a
2: you know my favorite Colts player and my favorite Ravens player all of them there you go every single one of them
1: every and, single and do you have a favorite uh, a favorite game actually. Now I remember the other two parts. I was gonna say, What's your a favorite game that jumps them? you say all of them.
2: <laughs> well, I think, uh, the one year we had to beat the uh, Denver Broncos to get into, you know, the playoffs and all, yeah, to move up. And, um, we sort of did something a little bit dirty that game, we, uh. David Modell came to us and says, you guys know the song, Louie Louie? I said, yeah, we got it in the archives. And, the, you know, I said, this is what I want you to do. Finish your pregame show. <clears throat> Move back towards the visiting bench. In those days, the visiting players came out early. You know, mm-hmm. you know after the Star Spangled Banner, that's when the players came out. So the whole Bronco team was standing on sidelines. And... All of a sudden we had time and we turned to them and played Louis Louis. They went nuts. <laughs> they went screaming at us, yelling at us. I don't remember the head coach, it just it gets my mind, but they were grabbing every referee and the referees saying nothing we can do about it. <laughs> this
1: bad. like seems like a scene out of the replacements.
2: Yeah, and last <laughs> <laughs> and Louis Louis. I mean, they were going after us and you know, um, you know, I turn around and look at my wife, Charlene, at the time was in charge of the flag line. She's over there dancing with one, one of the players, you know, from Broncos, <laughs> like dancing. And you could see how much Shanahan was his coach, I think.
1: Oh, uh, okay.
2: Yeah, and then they were going crazy nuts. I mean, just screaming at the referees to get us to stop, to get us to stop. We didn't know until we got off the field. That song was forbidden to be played at Denver home games because they felt it was a bad luck. Oh, uh, and David Modell found that out.
1: Excellent and, uh, troll right there.
2: That was I, that was I mean, I we could go on our days about things like this and the band history and the heritage and what we did. And, you know, especially during the years, we didn't have a team My like, gosh, I don't know how the hell we did it. If I knew then what I know now, <laughs> it would be some changes. But, you know, the history and heritage, but the band. Yes, we got a wonderful history and heritage. But we still have to be good in what mm-hmm. we do. We and still- you guys
1: are. You guys are great.
2: And, you know, that comes to our band director, Dan Faker, does a great job on that. But And also, every member of the band, past and present, that made this band a success from 1947, they're the ones. And you can't forget what I call our heart. And that's the fans. We're the band of the fans. And mm-hmm. they give us our strength, our energy, and love. And that's why I love the Baltimore Ravens and the old Baltimore Colt fans. There, they mean they have a lot in my heart for what they do for us and care mm-hmm. about us.
1: Awesome! And is uh, just like looking forward to the 2021-22 season here. Is there one game that you're really excited to see or um gets the band pumping a little?
2: We more? always we always like against our arch enemy, the Steelers, <laughs> which, you know, which also, the fun fact, right, we John, also played, we also play first term game. We played the Colts.
1: Oh, that's uh, well. Anytime the Colts come to town, I, I you, in the, especially the Steelers, but the Colts, <laughs> there's always that special dialing up of, uh...
2: but, you know, we never forgive and we never forget,
1: mm-hmm.
2: <clears throat> but there's been generations that don't know the Colts, that they were here in Baltimore. Uh, We used to have a big display in the Sports Legends Museum in Baltimore on the Baltimore Colts. And a lot of younger people came through and said, why do you have a display on the Indianapolis Colts? So I think we'll never forgive. We'll never forget, especially the old generation, but younger generation just looks on the Colts as, you know, a team we're going against. And when you tell them they were the Baltimore Colts at one time, they get a surprise look. Really? You're kidding yeah. me. This is, and again, you know, they're been, they've been in Indianapolis longer than they are in Baltimore. Wow. But they'll never have the history and the heritage and love for this team the way they did in Baltimore.
0: Well,
1: the, the one thing um, I, I was going to just add about the Steelers with that rivalry there is – you know the one thing we were talking about the other day is most people forget that Johnny U was drafted by the Steelers yeah
2: and they let yeah. him go and then you know many of his biographies he said that uh, and he told me this personally that he never got a chance he was uh sidelines you know throwing playing catch with the uh Rudy brothers who were ball boys and you know Worked at equipment. And when they released him, he went into uh, the Steelers and uh, said, you know, you never gave. I don't mind being released, but you never gave me a chance. But I'm going to come back and haunt you. And he sure did.
0: Oh, yeah. He
2: sure did. And um, the one thing I'll say about the Steelers, when we didn't have a team, they always gave major support to the band and always offered us every year to come up there and play games to play the performance have to they were and i got to have a friendship with the late owner art rooney and gentlemen all the way i got a lot of letters and thank you letters in our archives parts of letters written by mr rooney and also from a lot of the team owners too so they're to me very historical not only to getting football back to baltimore But also to the band archives. So you don't realize I got a lot of every uniform we've ever worn since nineteen forty seven, all the way up to the current one. Plus artifacts, proclamations, everything to tell the story about this band.
1: That's awesome. I mean, like you're like the Smith the Smithsonian of the marching colts slash ravens band.
2: Yeah, well. Uh, we talked about, I have every media guide from 1947 all the way up to this year. Wow. You know, and that includes the stars and the stallions. And and,
1: uh, and which one know. was the CFL team? The
2: uh, the, the stallions for two St- years.
1: <laughs> yeah. We
2: played for the stallions, but we still kept <laughs> the name Baltimore Colts band.
1: Probably a good move.
2: <laughs> well, that was from owner Jim Sparrows. He says, you know, as long as there's money in Annapolis, Maryland, the state legislature, to build new stadiums. Um, I wouldn't change your name until we know solidly that the NFL is not coming back here. And it's solidly that solidly that we can adopt you. Oh, okay. So we, the Baltimore Colts band uh, representing the Baltimore stallions. You know, wow. it's funny in our, in, in our archives, we have, you got uniforms, new uniforms uh for the stallions, but, uh, when we lost the stallions and the ravens were coming to baltimore for two years we played at memorial stadium so the band you know was playing there but we didn't want to get new uniforms until we went to the new stadium in 1998. so what we did we covered up all the stadium logos put on different patches and then if uh, on the back we had a big uh plate like a patch with baltimore ravens and if you take the stag uniforms and look in the back of them the jackets You can see where the stallion logo was. (laughs) Ravens covering it up. (laughs) Very, 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 you know, smart and doing things like that. Ingenuity,
1: tricks of the trade.
2: Yes, sir. (laughs) Um,
1: But that's that hard work and dedication, and it's just you know, it's why the love affair. Like I said, when I when I first came to Baltimore, I saw it in people's eyes, and to this day, even just in the conversations I have with um, folks in the, the Baltimore region about the love and uh, affinity they have for their their Colts now they're Ravens. I mean that. It, and again, this is my personal opinion. The NFL's greatest mistake was ever leaving a great city. It's like pulling the Huskers out of uh, you know nebraska or something it just doesn't they're, they're just great football towns that should have teams And baltimore is one of them so i i thank you so much for your generosity your time and this has been awesome and uh again that barry levinson 30 for 30 is the band that wouldn't die right i i always mix up the 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 title there so i want to just make sure i get it right
2: yeah when we did that movie uh <clears throat> i watched barry what he was shooting and you know with his criminal and all of a sudden why are you doing that why are you doing this he goes first of all i'm going to show that baltimore is a victim losing their team. second of all i'm going to show and this is his quote why earth was a jerk unquote <laughs> not me and then he said also he said i'm going to show what the band did to get a team back here and he said and at the end i'm going to have him crying I'm gonna have, have them crying. And he came through on all points because even if you're not a cult fan or a Raven fan or a band fan, at the end it's at the end it's very touching. And uh, uh hope everybody enjoys it.
0: And
1: and what's your favorite diner quote? <laughs> oh God. You know, I gotta put you on the spot like that because uh, since we're talking well about
2: Okay, in the wedding sequence, I worked crew on the diner i was in broadcasting and that's how i met barry I oh wrote, okay i wrote, wrote, wrote i think i got the only autograph script and uh from barry and um you know I, I think um at the wedding sequence and i worked with a gentleman who uh was putting the music together they played the cults fight song <laughs> <laughs> and uh one gentleman, one actor is there, and I can't think of his name. He's sitting next to a lady, and she said, and they're playing, that on the organ. as that's the bridesmaids are coming in. And she says, what's that song? It's um, Baltimore Colts' fight song. Very tasteful, just very tasteful. <laughs> you know, it's very tasteful. I think that's the best one, but it is another great movie. I mean, that Barry did, but that's how come we met. And he started talking then about doing something with the band. And including, you know, I said, there's something in years past. And when I got a call, and he said, I got the perfect vehicles, got 30 for 30. I said, what's that? He said, something new starting up. And he told me about, you know, the documentaries. And uh, there was 30 of them, of course, done the first year. Ours is number 29. They moved it. now after preview, previewing it, they moved it to number five. And again, if you buy the movie, it has all the out, not the outtakes, but many things that went on the movies and interviews and, you know, he also put, again, the full press conference on Bob Ursay the night he came to the airport a month before with the team drunk. Yeah. But I think that's it, something for football fans to enjoy because it's really, the, I say, the foundation, not only just music, but the love of professional football in this country.
1: Yep, a- absolutely. Well, I, John, thanks again so much for your time. And um, I wish you, you and the Ravens, Well, not too well over my Giants.
2: (laughs) That's where we have to split apart on that one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, always will. But thanks again. I really appreciate your time.
2: It's a pleasure and an honor. Never get hard up for an interview. I'm here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, sir. Thanks for joining us today. To continue the conversation, visit us at our blog, financial-recon.com. Appearances do not constitute endorsement of flagship wealth management group, LPL Financial, or any other entity discussed in this program. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor. John Zeman, the Baltimore Colts,
1: and the Baltimore Ravens are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL
0: Financial or Flagship Wealth Management Group.